Hello and welcome back to the Chris Ye podcast. I am as always Chris Ye. Today I am going to be recording a recap of season two, episode two of Mental Samurai, but I am joined by my fellow competitor and super mental samurai analyst, Dr. Ken Franklin. Dr. Ken, say hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing well. You know, it actually was one of the things because of my schedule, I was able to take a quick 10 minute nap before this recording session. Ooh. So I'm feeling very refreshed. All right. Well, I have my ice water here, so you, you might hear a little background noise or ice cubes jingling, but I too am alert and ready to contribute. Fantastic. Well, this was an exciting episode because it was the first episode where we got to see how the dynamic would play out of having a defending champ. Mm -hmm. And the way it played out, I think they actually made the right choice here. Instead of having the defending champ start out in the chair, they ran the episode as normal, but had the defending champ waiting in the wings to come on after the final competitor. Absolutely. Uh, you know, seeing a, a defending champion just kind of lounging like Dr. Evil saying, yes, you petty people. Maybe one of you will get a chance to see me. Now, that wouldn't have been good television at all. But uh, bringing him in at the last minute uh, to try to dethrone the king of the hill was uh, a smart choice, in my opinion. And it ended up being quite dramatic. But we're not going to jump ahead. We're not going to spoil it for folks. We're going to just take it competitor by competitor right from the top. So the first competitor out of the shoot was Ben Hawkman, who is a rocket engineer working for NASA. When I saw Ben come on, you know, you have these rocket engineers and he really felt like a rocket engineer. He's very calm, very deliberate in the way he went about things. I think he had the right strategy for gridlock. We had a whole discussion about gridlock last week, how so many mm -hmm. people took this willy nilly approach. I think he was very systematic about that. Right. But he ended up being tripped up on the memory tower. That's right. Uh <laughs> I was impressed that there was a little bit more variety in all of the question towers tonight. And uh, it perhaps that uh, they wanted to kind of warm things up with the stacks of questions. Uh, as you and I know from our round uh, in uh, season one, they have a, a random collection of stacks of questions that are preset. Um, and then you don't know which stack is going to be assigned until Ava starts the countdown. But uh, it just felt like the stacks to, uh, in episode two were just a little bit tougher, quite significantly more varied, especially as uh, comes to the memory tower and the sequence tower. But yeah, yeah memory, memory got him. Yep. Memory, I've always told everyone, memory has always been my toughest thing. I did not miss it when he missed it though it was a failure on memory the question is which sound was it that you heard before another sound and mm -hmm. i was able to get that at home but of course as we know it's a lot easier to get these at home when you're not strapped into ava i tell you there were two or three times that episode that i was well one that i know i would have missed but the one that almost tripped me up was a question about whether the word intelligence was uh was the i in the fbi yes and uh, and i initially said well of course oh wait no that's and so what i heard in my head was i heard chris wants you to think about it <laughs> and so i thought about it and said federal bureau of investigation in my head so thank you great obi-wan for helping educate this poor padawan 
I had exactly the same reaction that you did. The instinct is, of course, it means intelligence. I'm like, wait, hold on. Time is not the most important thing. Getting everything right is the most important thing. What does FBI stand for? It stands for Federal Bureau of Investigation. Oh, it's not intelligence. That's right. And, you know, uh, as you pointed out, uh, Ben had a, a nice sedate move, uh, uh, approach to things and a significantly slow pace. I when, As soon as I saw his pace after three or four questions, I didn't have much hope for him because I thought that even if he did manage to make it through all 10, um, he, somebody was going to beat his time. Yeah, because and, and he the, was going very sedately. And also, I think he could tell after his run, as soon as it ended, he's like, oh, I'm definitely not winning. Part of it is he knew his fiance was coming up next, who was yeah, probably better little, than him. Yeah, he had a little insurance in the bank there. So he answered five questions correctly for $2,500. Again, that's one of the things that's a new innovation for this season. You get to keep money even if you don't get all the way through. Would have been good for to have that for season one, right, Ken? Oh, <laughs> please. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that would have been a delight uh, and, and would have made it uh, sting a little less. Yeah. yeah. Um, I could have, you know, I could have taken the money and bought a smoker. Exactly. And <laughs> and maybe a couple of chains as well. That's right. Well, no, we're not going to go kinky here on this podcast. <laughs> so, well, so, so Laura Kerber was next, yes. his fiance. And I noticed that there were three new question types that weren't on the first episode first of all for the first time i've ever seen there were three possible answers on the knowledge tower Mm -hmm. the knowledge tower has always had either a rebus of some sort or an a or b yes or no true or false question this time we had a three uh foils in the in the knowledge tower we also had our first jigsaw puzzle uh, on the uh, puzzle tower, and I saw the first, that with the puppy. Uh, yep, and the first uh, sequence four question, and was it was late, the sequence question. four that tripped her up. As yeah. a matter of fact, that's right. So let's talk about her run. So she comes on. She is also a NASA scientist. I guess she and Ben had met when they were working on the same project. She was one of the scientists, and he was the roboticist on the project. So. That's a match made in space, literally speaking. Mm -hmm. And I think that Ben had exactly the right attitude when Rob asked him, what do you feel about this? He said, I hope she beats me because that was definitely his best chance of of actually coming away with a victory today uh, through her, if nothing else. I did think that she was one of the people who, at first I was a little worried because she seemed like she was a little nervous. One of these people who did not like being in the chair. I sympathize, I did not like being in the chair. Uh, but she was, without question, able to really just lock in. I mean, she was a machine going through there. It didn't feel like she was going quickly, but she actually went super fast. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought the delightful thing was uh, when they got to uh, the question, the sixth question, the, I'm sorry, the fifth question, that he, she, was, she had 12 seconds to answer the fifth question and beat her fiance's time, but she took like three <laughs> and, and sealed it in there. And uh, that was the only time she interrupted Ava. And it was the right thing to do because it made sure that she was going onto the chair. And I thought she was pretty good at the show element of the game show as well. You know, she was adding a few quips in there. Like she mentioned, you know, I used to live in France as an explanation yep. for why she was able to get the French flag so quickly. 
she actually did guess on one of the knowledge tower questions at least she admitted to guessing which was you know which was it which car was it that last rolled off the assembly line on this date and whether it mm -hmm. was the jeep or the vw beetle and right. she guessed the beetle correctly i'm pretty sure you probably knew that one yes i did now here's the I'm key sure, question i'm sure you knew it too i did i did but we get to the question that tripped her up, as you pointed out, it was a sequence of four. Mm -hmm. Saturday, night, Saturday night live performers, order yeah. them in order from least number of years to most number of years. Yep. And I'm going to tell you, I, I would have missed this one. I, I shouldn't have, but I did miss this one in oh, the yeah. moment. No, no, that was fairly easy. It was, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Robert Downey Jr., mm -hmm. uh, who was mainly only as a guest. Uh, Maya uh, Rudolph was as a guest, but for several seasons in the election. And then Seth Meyers was a, uh, an update for quite a while, but nobody has been on the show longer than Keenan Thompson. The great Keenan Thompson, the master of the reaction shot. I knew instantly RDJ was the least because he was part of one of those casts that didn't last very long. And I knew Keenan was the most. And I flipped the order of Maya and Seth, I think largely because I didn't stop to think about it carefully. So what happens is, and this is the thing that our brains do, Maya Rudolph made a bigger impression on me as a cast member because Seth's right. role was primarily just in Weekend Update. Right. But what I didn't realize was that he actually was on the cast for years and years before he started doing Weekend Update. He just didn't have a very large role. Right. And so, in fact, despite the fact that both Seth Meyers and Maya Rudolph are legendary figures in Saturday Night Live, he had been on Saturday Night Live for 13 years, and she was on for only nine. <laughs> That's right. I asked my wife the question afterwards, and she instantly got it, and I felt <laughs> really bad about that. But well, you can't it's important win them all. To it's important to recognize that we're not the, the smartest people at our addresses. That is very good thinking. So Laura was able to get through nine correct questions, only missing the 10th question in three minutes and one second. So blazing pace, $4,500. And at that point, she kicks her fiance out of the chair. And up comes Ryan Shing, who is a data analyst who had been hit by a car and hit by a bus. He never got to tell those stories. Well, he did get to talk about being hit by a macadamia nut, and that was interesting in and of itself. Yeah, that's true. I was more interested in what kind of circumstances led to being hit by both a car and a bus. But of course, he probably told the story during taping and it was just cut out for time. So I guess the producers probably cut it for a reason. Probably it was just boring. He's like, oh, you know, somebody just hit me. Yeah, I was playing Tetris as I walked across Fourth Avenue, you know, something like that. Yeah, that doesn't sound so good. Now, Ryan did not get very far. He got through question one. He was very careful, very systematic. I had high hopes for him. It seemed like he was taking the right approach, but boom, he just lost it on the second question, rushed it too much. Maybe he was worried about the time. Again, because Dr. Laura had only gotten nine questions, if I were in that situation, I wouldn't have been trying to beat her time. I would have just been trying to get 10 correct. Yes, and that you mentioned that that's been your approach all through this, and it's a smart way to go. And he admits that he rushed it. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, I tell you, on that question, I was uh, having a little initial problems because I saw that red face and I thought angry rather than mad. Right. But there's only three angry men and it's supposed to be 12 angry men. So that was why. 
there's no number 12 up there. And that caused me to hiccup a little bit, but that by then he'd already locked in the wrong answer and, and it was all over. And those three guys, they didn't look that manly to me personally. No, no, that's, but, but that's, they, that's our biases coming to the front. Exactly. But that was the, the issue that the real reason why Ryan was able to unable to really make it work is he had never seen the show. And right. that probably speaks to a broader lack of what we would might call trivial pop cultural knowledge. Uh, this is oh, something I have that no relation. Of competitors. I don't relate to that at all. I have no concept of what you're talking about. <laughs> but the, we, the, the, to be on the show, they recruit people who are really, really smart and who know a lot of things, but really, really smart people don't always spend a lot of time watching television. True enough. But he did have great poise. I love the fact that he had the presence of mind to come up with a line and deploy it on the spot. It couldn't have been a pre-prepared line per se. When right. Rob asked him, so are you going to watch Mad Men after this? He's like, no, I'm just going to stick with watching Parks and Rec. So great poise, great way to turn a loss into at least a, a shining moment. There you go. So who came up next after that? Uh, I believe that next was uh, Bianca Harris. That's right. So yeah, Bianca I, Harris was uh, an interesting character. Uh, she seemed to be young. I couldn't quite tell. I missed the part where they flashed her age on the screen, but she certainly seemed I didn't young. Notice. Yeah. And she was a, a, an entrepreneur who had an acne-based application. She mm -hmm. described herself as highly competitive and an athlete. So what were your impressions of Bianca as she's going through her run? Well, I noticed that, uh, first of all, that she commented on her competitiveness at games, but she described her intelligence as games as playing Uno and Monopoly. Uh -huh. Now, as a tabletop game designer, that kind of nicks me because, I mean, there have been 10,000 different games that are more mentally stimulating than Uno and Monopoly in the last, just the last three years. But that's okay. She enjoys competing. She's got the passion for it. And that, to me, uh, I was rooting for her. Let's mention, of course, some of those great games that you might be able to purchase out there are games like the Mansky Caper or Back to the Future Dice Through Time. And I believe you have an upcoming game, Ken? Um, I have two upcoming games, neither of which I'm allowed to tell you about right now. Or oh. Else I'd have, to, I'd have to cut your head off and put it in a safe. So, you know, what can I say? You know what? We'll stick with uh, the non-decapitation for now. But uh, okay, Bianca, Bianca went through, I thought she had a pretty good run. She was really taking the talk it out approach, which, you know, as I described, was my approach in season one. Mm -hmm. But I think the right. circumstances were a little different. It made sense to do it in season one because we weren't sure whether we would make it on the air. Right. Whereas in season two, you were guaranteed to be on the air. So it didn't necessarily help you unless it was going to help you get the answers correctly. Right. And the reason her and, age became relevant is she was going through, I think, doing pretty well. Her pace wasn't as fast as, say, Dr. Laura, but it was still good. She was systematic through gridlock, which is something we've been keeping an eye on. Right. But then she lost on a question, one of the rebuses, right. because she was too young to actually one, know what the expression one was. One of the visual rebuses, which, again, there had been very few of those on the season. But uh, I think this was the first one of the season. And she just couldn't understand why there was this mollusk circling Barbie's head. Exactly. And she had no relationship. You know, she had no concept to uh, all of the uh, uh, Australia tourism campaigns or the Crocodile Dundee series or any of that. So Shrimp on the Barbie was completely foreign to her brain. 
And of course, the irony here is that in Australia, they would never say shrimp on the Barbie. They call them prawns. But yes. nonetheless, to all Americans above a certain age, we all remember Paul Hogan, Crocodile Dundee, and the Australian Tourism Board commercials. Yes. Well, you know, it, I always love it when they show an old person question. So you know, I appreciate that effort. It's a, it's, it's got to be fair, right? They can show these young person questions. They got to show some old person questions as well, or rather mature. And I think that, you know, I don't know if she could have worked it out. Maybe, probably not, but she had to rush because Laura's run was so fast, she was placing time pressure on subsequent competitors. And so she guessed and guessed wrong. Ultimately, five questions, $2,500. That's right. But still, um, I wish her well. Uh, she, she came at it, like I said, with a passion, and she took the loss like a champ. Now, the next competitor was the final non-champion competitor and really gave Dr. Laura a pretty good run. Now, this guy was Peter Fryer, who is a banker and magician. And yes. my impression was that he was a great performer. So he's exactly. somebody who's very comfortable on stage, full of personality, really a good talker, and you know, adding in commentary in places where it didn't cost him time, but it allowed him to be more entertaining. Like on the question of which is the real dollar bill, after he answers the questions correctly, then he says, no, Washington had hair. If he exactly. did that before answering the question, that would cost him time, but he did it after answering, which was basically free time. Yeah, uh, I'm, my current set of fantasies is uh, thinking of the different ways I would converse with Ava as I'm going from tower to tower. Um, the other thing I noticed is that Peter was the second uh, contestant in a row who uh, admitted to being an avid gamer. Again, he focused mainly on trivia games like Trivial Pursuit or Scategories or things like that. But it's nice to see that, uh, that it's something that they equate with being part of their identity. Well, not everyone can be a big fan of Settlers of Catan or, or what have you. No, my wife has uh, terminal discatania. She can't play Settlers of Catan. <laughs> no, she'll she'll trade uh, she'll trade four rocks for a sheep anytime, and so that isn't going to work. Oh my goodness! So Peter had a great run. He was talking it out. He was performing. He's really doing a great job of being entertaining. Uh, you know, I was worried at one point in the run when he was doing one of the. I don't know what's not a crossword exactly, but you have the two words and the. In it's the two words, yeah. Uh huh. And he struggled with that one. Well, yeah, but all he had to try to figure out was where Billings was, and one, and he it took him four seconds, but four seconds is respectable. Yeah, and so the answer, of course, was Joe Montana. Just a tiny bit of slide, a time loss, but then he ended up getting tripped up by the pop culture. There were three Lopez's on screen. And he could not remember the first name of George Lopez. He's like, I've watched his show. I don't know his first name. Uh, exactly. I had, I had blanked on George's name first, but I had a feeling it was early in the alphabet. So I would have, I would have done what he did. Was was said, you know, the guy on the right goes here because I don't know his name. Uh, as a very interesting question. Um, and again, back to pop culture. I also noticed that there was a, a new type of memory question here, and Ooh. that was where you had to count how many times each sound played. Never seen that before, but it was a valid memory question. No, and I thought I definitely thought that again. I was I think that part of the reason I've done better on memory 
outside the chair watching things is that I did in fact get some instruction from Ron White and Louis Sangel after our comp our competition. So I've learned a little bit, few more of those memory tricks. So I'm doing better on memory now that I'm out good. of the chair and it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I did know that it was Mario, uh, Jennifer and George Lopez. So uh, as you know, I'm a pop, I'm a pop culture, useless trivia master. So no. that was relatively easy. I, I bowed to your wisdom. Dr. Laura didn't necessarily know the answer either. And she no. said she would have guessed wrong. So this is one of those ones where sometimes it's luck of the draw. What question do you happen to get? Don't we know it? And very painfully so. Very, yes. very painfully so for more both of some, us. More so for some of us. Well, um, you know, it's actually debatable, right? So, you know, the question becomes... What is more painful? Is it, you know, my, my example where uh, I missed out on the grand prize by a single question, or is it your example where you weren't able to get on to the next round? I mean, both are painful. Um, zero is a very painful number, Chris. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> right. I, will, I, I will defer to your wisdom here. I'm not going to try to compete. All right. <laughs> All right. And that, so that got us to Gleb. That brings us to Gleb, our defending champion, Gleb Golfin. Uh, he really came in. I think that he was very consistent from his previous week's performance to this performance. Of course, they're probably shot like two hours apart, right. but he really had this approach, which I really feel was in keeping with his profession status as a martial arts master, right? Focus on one thing at a time. And he continued to be focused. I would describe him as both calm, but also decisive in how he approached this. Exactly. Uh, again, we had the uh, number of matching pairs question, which is something I don't think we saw much of in season one. And uh, I would have missed that one because for the first time there were two cartons, but they were slightly different. Mm. So there's been some little subtlety attached to that there. And there were two, only two that were actually matching. So as Gleb goes through his run, again, he's calm, he's decisive, but it also means he's going more slowly than Dr. Laura. He very clearly understands that he needs to get all of them correct in right. order to win. And so he goes through and he is taking his time. He's making sure he's getting all the way through and he gets to the final question. And this is the high drama. And the final question is a simple, true, false, knowledge tower question. Knowledge tower question: Did Martin Luther King Jr. win a Grammy Award? 50-50 chance. Yeah, 50-50 chance. And you, you have to remember that Grammys are given for all recorded sound, including not spoken word, pop, not just pop music. And um, and Rob put it out. You know, is there anything that Martin Luther King Jr. did that was not good? Um, so it, it, I would have gone for true as well. Same here. Uh, so, uh, absolutely. He should have said he took, he won a Grammy, did, ended up answering the opposite way. And unfortunately that meant he fell just short of repeating. He was about to become the first repeat winner. But again, as we know, it's a painful, painful thing. Ava is a cold and heartless machine and the game does not give you a lot of leeway. No, just the simple word fail, and then she shuts up. But uh, that fail reverberates in your ears for quite some time. But it was another great run. Nine questions, another $4,500 added to his total, giving him a two-day total of $34,500. Oh, 
Oh, which by is... the way, that's that's more than zero, Chris. I just want to point that out. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. It absolutely is more than zero. That could be one of the questions on the Knowledge Tower. Which is greater, 34,500 or zero? Yeah, I can answer that one. I can lock that one in. And so finally, that then brings us to Dr. Laura going into the circle of samurai. And of course, as we know, the pace is a little faster, only four minutes to answer 10 questions instead of five. But of course, her pace in the initial round was so fast that she probably didn't have to worry about time. And so she you know, pretty much was going through. Uh, I felt like she overdid it. I felt like she was taking too much time. She could have gone faster in the earlier stages. Mm -hmm. And that came back to bite her a little. Absolutely. Yeah, she was, uh, there. it was looking really tight when she went into her ninth question. And uh, you don't want to have to rush the, the hardest questions because at least to my perception, the questions are slightly graded from simple to more uh, difficult. So you want the thought time to be there for the eighth, ninth, and 10th questions. Like, just like when you went, had your first run, you know, you had a ton of time for questions 11, 12. So you could sit back and, and do it well. And that's why you, you finished the course on your, your first try. And that was intentional. And I was taking all the time to make sure I didn't make a dumb mistake because that is something that I had definitely done many times in my life. And I wanted to avoid that in that situation. So Laura, I did feel like was taking more time than was necessary. I felt like she could definitely have gone faster and she made some intentional decision to slow down. And I cannot explain why. We will never know what's going on through her head until she's done with her uh, run and hopefully comes back on this podcast. Fingers crossed. And so what ended up happening, this, the, the question that took her down was another classic mental samurai question, which is the combination of knowledge and math, which is oh, yes. add together the number of secret herbs and spices for KFC with the number of varieties from Heinz. Old person question. Old person question. Yes. They still have the 57 varieties on the bottle itself. Yes, if you've ever bought to look at it. Oh, yes. That's not a problem, but they didn't call it the number of varieties then. And again, Colonel Sanders has been gone for a while and they've gone a whole different way with, with uh, KFC's approach, but they still mention the 11 herbs and spices from time to time. But exactly. again, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And she didn't know either. She did yep. not know the number of secret herbs and spices and she did not have the correct number for Heinz. And alas, that meant that Dr. Laura lost on question nine, but that still gave her eight questions correct giving her a one day total of $24,500, which is still good. Uh, yes, that is more than zero, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> As you pointed out. That's, no, good that's why I'm, I'm loving season two. You know, and of course she gets to come back next week. And I trust that you'll be able to join me for another one of these close analyses next week, Ken. Um, I will do my very best to be here. We'll see what happens. Wonderful. Well, I can tell, uh, again, for those who are listening in, uh, it really helps to have both of us looking at it. We see different things, and I continue to just be amazed by the level of detail which your game designer's brain is able to pick out and to understand <laughs> why some questions are different and, and which ones have not yet been seen this season. It's that kind of analysis you can't get anywhere else. That's right. 
And that's why you pay me the big bucks, Chris. Absolutely. I'll send you the check right <laughs> after the show. All right. But wait, no, it is it is actually zero. It's not more than zero. It actually is zero. Oh, that's right. Well, you said you were going to double it each week. Absolutely. Every week, I'm going to double the amount I send to you. There you go. <laughs> well, Dr. Ken, thank you so much for joining me for this recap episode. Uh, just as we always do towards the end for those people who are interested in learning more about you and about the games that you design, where should they go? Well, I would go to Instagram or Twitter for Ken Plays to Grin, uh, the number two, Ken Plays to Grin. Or uh, I'm also on Facebook with under my name, Ken Franklin. And uh, I don't shy away from talking to people because people are some of the coolest things about this planet. And Dr. How Ken, about you, you are Chris? one. You are one of the coolest things about this plan. So since this oh, is my you. podcast, they probably know. But just in case, you can find me as Chris Ye pretty much everywhere. And that's Y-E-H. And Chris is spelled the regular way, C-H-R-I-S. And of course, if you want to, you can visit ChrisYeh.com. And that will give you pointers to nearly everything Chris Ye related. There you go. Well, Dr. Ken, thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this. I know you got two games cooking. You got all sorts of wonderful things to do. You got a beautiful summer to spend with your beautiful wife. So I appreciate your taking the time to break it down with us. Oh, this is a bit, as always, is a joy, Chris. So I look forward to it. Wonderful. All right, folks, that's it for this week's recap. Hopefully we'll be able to nail down a couple more contestant interviews this week, and we'll try to release those as soon as we can. But if not, we'll see you next week for another Mental Samurai recap episode. All right, take care and remember, answer carefully. <laughs>